the title of my message this morning is Keep Dreaming, okay? Keep Dreaming. We were in Texas uh, attending a church planters uh, conference this past week with 1,500 other pastors from around the country. And the backstory of why we were even invited to this uh, goes like this. Back in October, the Assemblies of God um, uh, news magazine, they ran an article on our church and talking about our story of moving from Texas to the city, battling cancer and all of those things. And so they, they wrote an article about us and someone from the church planting department from our denomination happened to uh, see the article and read the article and they told their department that you have got to, you've got to read this story, hear this story. And so we were contacted back in, uh, this, the article ran in November, uh, October. We were contacted in December to have a video conference call with the entire church planting team to, uh, they wanted to interview us and, and they wanted to hear our story. And so in December, we had, a, Priscilla and I, we had a video chat with about 15 people from the church planting department and we shared our story and towards the end of the conversation the director of church planting for the whole thing that was there he uh, says hey Steve um, can you send me your number right now because I want to call you right when we're done with this and I was like uh, okay is he gonna tell us we didn't do a good job but he didn't want to say it in front of everybody and so he ended up calling me and he said Steve your story is so compelling and it, it has gripped my heart and other planters need to hear this and they need to be encouraged by what you guys have gone through. And so he said, I I'm going to fly a, a, a video team up to, to interview you guys and we're going to show your story at our CMN conference and we're going to pay for your entire family to come down and be a part of that. Um, and so in January, if you'll remember, we had a, I was like begging you guys and telling you guys, yelling at you guys to be here for that Sunday. There was a beautiful couple that came up and interviewed Priscilla and I and did some highlights from our church. And, uh, and so on Monday, that was the first night of the conference, Chris Raley, who's the director of church planting, uh, he got up to speak. And during his second point, um, I think it was like, you know, going after your dream uh, draws in difficulties or something like that. He showed our video and then he called my family and I up to the stage. And, uh, and so he, he calls us up to the stage and he speaks life over us. And then he, he bends down on his knees and starts speaking. He, he wanted Boston and Avia to come up. He starts speaking directly to Boston and Avia and telling them that they have a, a, a destiny and that they're part of this dream as well. And at this point, I, I don't think there was a dry eye in the entire uh, auditorium of 1,500 pastors. And he said, and then he called his uh, lead team, up, his executive team up. And he said, they're going to pray for you. And so before they prayed for us, he said, uh, you know, Steve, we didn't just call you up here to uh, pray for you guys. We actually have a gift for you. And I thought at this point, I thought maybe he's going to, you know, at these Christian events, they bring out a sword or something like that. I was like, where's the sword? I mean, it's cool. I'll hang it up somewhere. Uh, and so then he was like, you have the envelope. And so uh, the guy came with this envelope right here, says CMN, the Paramalas. And at this point, I thought, oh, he's going to give us like $1,000 or something like that. And I was like, that would be such a blessing, amazing, all of those things. And so he started talking to us, and he said, uh, Stephen and Priscilla, your story was so compelling, 
and so touching and so moving that the, the minute I got off the video phone call with you, I started fundraising for you guys. Uh, um, and he said, we are presenting you with a check of $30,000. $30,000 dollars. And then he said, not only that, we're adding an additional $1,000 so you and Priscilla can go out for a weekend and, and, and have fun. And so we were absolutely blown away by God's goodness. We were not expecting this. I felt like I was on the Ellen show when she does those giveaways. Uh, and, and I was, I just, and you know, God really used this whole event um, because when you're in the front lines and you're on the grind, you don't realize what you're struggling with. You're just like putting one foot ahead, in front of the other. You're just picking yourself up out, out, out of the ditch. But I realized that I know God gave me and Priscilla the dream to plant a church here in New York City, but I almost felt like maybe God didn't think we had what it took anymore to do this, you know. Um, and through what happened on Monday night, I, I was after after we got down off the stage. I was me and Priscilla were crying. I was crying even worse than her. I was like weeping and all that stuff. And and then afterwards, after he took us off the stage. I went and sat down and I was still crying for like 30 minutes. And I was thinking, God, we are a, I mean, we are nobodies. Like nobody knows about our church. Uh, I don't have any relatives in the assemblies of God. I'm not a known person. There was no way our church should have been honored in this way at the, at this conference. And in that moment, um, I felt like 1500 people believed in our dream and in that moment I borrowed their faith because I needed it because there are times where I'm like God I I, do you even believe in this anymore you know and so in that moment I felt like 1500 people surrounded us and believed in what God had called us to do and then God spoke to me he said it's not about the 1500 people I used all of those things to tell you that I believe in your dream that I gave you and so it was an amazing experience. And uh, I mean, all I can say is that God is faithful and God was speaking loud and clear to Priscilla and I that we are here in Hamilton Heights for a reason and for a purpose. And God wants to do something incredible in this church through you. This blessing is not just for us. It's for all. It's a sign for all of us that we're not doing this for no reason, but God is behind everything that we are doing, everything that you are doing. And so don't give up because God is in this. Amen. And if he can do it for us, he will do it for you because you're connected to us. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be in a familiar story this morning. We're going to be in the book of Judges chapter number six, and uh, I'm going to read verses 11 through 16, and it says this, then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, 
Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. I got the inspiration uh, for my outline today from uh, a guy by the name of Glenn Barrett, who was a pastor in the UK. And he preached this message during the conference we were at this week. And while he was preaching, I felt so strongly that the church, our church, needed to hear this message. And because I couldn't get him to come and speak, I thought I would just take his outline to the skeleton of his message. I added in the, the meat, the content, but I got that outline from him, so I want to give credit to him. But I felt like this message that he preached was something that, that we needed to hear in this church. We see here that Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press. What's odd about this is that you would normally beat out wheat in a, in a barn. You would crush grapes in a wine press. Okay? But Gideon was using the wine press to hide the wheat from the Midianites who were oppressing Israel at this time because he was afraid of the Midianites. He, he was afraid of the enemy. He was afraid of the opposition. Gideon and the Israelites, they were living in fear and defeat, and they were afraid of what the Midianites could do to them, and they were oppressed. And so he was, instead of beating out the wheat in the place out in the open where he should have been doing it, he was hiding in a wine press because he was scared. And then we see that Gideon had a visitor. The text says that an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, but most scholars believe that this was a theophany or a visible manifestation of God himself pre-Jesus that visited uh, Gideon in this moment. Can I tell you that God oftentimes shows up when we're in our weakest posture? Gideon was here hiding from the enemy in a, in a wine press, beating out wheat because he didn't want them to, to see what he was doing because they would have taken his. It was like the, the kids that took your milk money when you were in school. He didn't want the Midianites to take his, milk, his lunch money. You know what I mean? And, and God shows up. He showed up when Gideon was hiding from his enemy. He didn't show up when Gideon was courageous and bold and ready to storm the ground. He showed up when Gideon was hiding like a little baby. God oftentimes shows up when we're in our weakest posture. He showed up in the middle of Gideon's fear and despair. Oftentimes God will show up in our lives when we're at our weakest moment because he is an ever-present help in times of need. What do you do when you feel like you are further away from your dream than when God gave it to you? What do you do when you feel like you're further away from your dream than when God spoke that dream into your heart? You ever feel that way? Maybe you're feeling that way right now. God births a dream in your heart, and at first you're full of passion moving forward, but then you, then you hit a few obstacles. You, you, you experience a few disappointments. You, 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 you get surrounded by a few haters in your life that don't believe in you anymore. Yeah. And you find yourself further from God's dream than when he birthed it in your heart. What do you do when you're in that moment? Think about Joseph. God gave him a dream that he was going to rule over his brothers and his parents. He gave him a dream that he was going to be a great leader someday. And then he gets thrown into a pit by his brothers. Then he gets sold into slavery 
Then he gets falsely accused of sexual assault and falsely imprisoned for that. And then through the hand of God and the move of God in his life and over his life, he finally gets elevated to the palace and fulfills God's dream in his life. But I bet when he was in that pit, he felt so far away from his dream. And then when he was sold into Potiphar's house, into slavery in Egypt, into a land he had never been to, surrounded by people, a language that he didn't know, I bet he felt far away from his dream in that moment. And then when Potiphar's wife, because he wouldn't sleep with her, he, he, she instead falsely accused him of rape. He felt further and further and further away from the dream. And then he goes into prison and he spends years in prison before through a series of supernatural events. God elevates him to, the, to, to second in command in all of Egypt. And he finally gets to fulfill the dream that God put in his heart 13, 14, 15 years later. Amen. Think about David. He was anointed the next king of Israel, and then he defeats the giant Goliath, and then King Saul gets jealous of him, and then he's going from cave to cave, from wilderness to wilderness, running as, as, as a fugitive from the king because he was jealous and insecure and was trying to kill David. Yeah. Think, you, you think David felt far away from his dream as he was hiding in the cave? Yeah. I think so. How about Abraham? God promises him that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And that he would have a son that would bear his name. He turns 50, no son. 60, no son. 70, no child. 75, he's starting to see some... They lived longer back then. He's starting to see some wrinkles at 75. 85, 90, nothing. He gets to 100 years old. Old. His wife is 90 years old. And finally, God gives him that son. Think Abraham in that time from when God promised him a son to 100 years old when he finally had that son. You think he felt far away from that dream? There have been many times when I have felt this way. I know God birthed a dream in my heart and Priscilla's heart to plant a life-giving church here in New York City. But most of the time, I feel further away from fulfilling that dream when, than when he first called us while we were on staff at, a, at our home church in Texas. Yeah. We've had a goal to have 80 people who call the Grace Place NYC their home for almost two years, and we're only halfway there. Yeah. Today, we're only a quarter of the way there. <laughs> it seems like every time we get some momentum and we start to take a few steps forward, someone in our church of influence ends up moving or leaving. We live in one of the most transient cities in the world. Maybe you're feeling that way right now, that God has spoken a dream to you, but you feel further away from that dream than when he first spoke it to you. You feel like, I'm, I'm going way backwards. I'm a mile away in the opposite direction from where God told me I would be. Maybe you moved to the city to fulfill a God-given dream, but right now you feel further from that thing than any other time in your life. Maybe you had a picture in your head of what you thought your life would look like at this stage in life, but your reality is nothing like the picture you had in your head. Maybe you thought you'd be further along in your career at this point. Maybe you thought you'd have way more money in your bank account by this point in your life. In the story of Gideon, 
What's interesting is that God was actually behind allowing Gideon to be in this place of feeling further away from the dream than when he first received it. In the passage we just read in Judges chapter 6, we see that God birthed this dream in Gideon's heart and told him that he was going to defeat the Midianites. This people that was oppressing his people, God was going to use him to free them. And God birthed this dream in his heart and he said, you are going to, I'm going to use you to defeat these people. Yeah. And then in Judges chapter 7, we read that Gideon had gathered together an army of 32,000 soldiers to fight the Midianites. But God said, that's too many. You got too many soldiers. That's too many. In Judges chapter 7 and verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Come on, let's have some real talk today. If God made it easy for some of y'all, you would take all of the glory and all of the credit and you would, you would tell everybody you did it yourself. But when it's difficult, when you have to fight for it, when you're outnumbered, when you're surrounded by the enemy and it's only God that can do it, when it happens, you say it's only God. That's why when I stood on the stage on Monday, I was, I was in tears because I said, God, there's no way I should be up here with my family. It is only you that have done this thing for us. So God told Gideon to say to the people, whoever is afraid, whoever is afraid to go battle these Midianites, don't even worry about it. You can go home, you can sit on your couch, get some potato chips, turn on ESPN, turn on the hunting, fishing channel, whatever you like, and you can, or Netflix, and you can chill. You don't have to go fight. If you're afraid, go home. Guess what? 22,000 of the 32,000 said, deuces. I'm out. I'm not about to fight this. And they went home and they only left 10,000 soldiers for Gideon. Gideon was probably like, I know you're God and all, but this is a terrible idea, God. Why would you do this to me? Why would you tell me to do this? I thought you were going to, I thought this was going to be a rallying moment where you were going to, I was going to say, whoever's afraid, you can go home and everybody would be, I'm behind you, Gideon. I'm with you. But instead, most of them took off, said, okay, cool. And then God said, I'm still not done, buddy. You still have too many soldiers. And he had Gideon test the remaining 10,000, and only 300 men passed the test. He went from 32,000 to 300 and then God said, now you're good. I think it's safe to say that Gideon felt further from the dream now than when God himself visited him in the wine press. It's one thing for God to call you a valiant warrior and tell you he's going to give the Midianites to you. It's a completely different story when all you have is 300 soldiers on your side and you are completely outnumbered by the enemy. If you're in that place in life right now, here's what you need to know. Number one, God knew my limitations before I knew his expectations. God knew my limitations before I knew his expectations. 
In verse 12 of our passage, as Gideon was hiding in the winepress, depressed and defeated, God comes to him and calls him a valiant warrior. Gideon wasn't doing anything valiant. That, that word valiant means worthy, strong, courageous, brave, to be of worth. Gideon was not doing any of this. None of these words would be what you describe Gideon in that moment. You would describe him as fearful, scared, cowardly, weak. Yet God comes to him and says, you are a valiant warrior. God not only sees how you are, but he also sees you. Uh, 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 God not only sees you for who you are in this moment, but he also sees you for who you could be if you trust him with your struggles and your limitations and your weaknesses. Okay? He knew that if Gideon would trust him, that he could be strong and courageous and brave and someone of word because he wouldn't be fighting the battle in his own strength. Some people never step out in faith because of all of their limitations. There's some people that, that I talk to and, 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 and every time I talk to them, they have a new dream that, that they want to pursue but right after they say that dream, they talk about all of the limitations and all of the excuses of why they can't fulfill that dream. God knows your limitations before we knew his expectations. And most of the time, these are perceived limitations. And they're birthed out of fear and insecurity. Let's look at verse 15 again. He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel. This is Gideon talking to God. Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. I think it's funny that Gideon felt the need to tell God all of his limitations, all of the reasons why he couldn't do what God was asking him to do. Let me tell you something that will help you, that will set you free, that will, uh, uh, that, that, that will help get the weight off your shoulders. God already knows. God already knows. He knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than your mom and dad know you. He knows you better than your spouse knows you. He knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He already knows about your lack of education. He already knows about your lack of experience. He already knows about your personality flaws. He already knows all about your history. He already knows about all of the skeletons in your closet. He, he already knows what race and ethnicity he made you to be. He already knows your limitations. He already knows the fears that you have. God already knows. He knows your limitations. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your disadvantages. He knew Gideon's limitations, but Gideon still felt the need to tell him. God knew that our church would launch with 82 people and the very next week we would only have 13. God knew that less than three months before we launched our church, I would be re-diagnosed with cancer. And one month before we launched the church, I would start my first cycle of chemotherapy treatment. God knew my limitations. God knew what was going to happen. God already knows that you are not qualified for what you feel like he's leading you into. God already knows how, about the stupid mistakes that you've made in your life. God already knows about your shortcomings. God already knows about your health issues. God already knows about the things in our lives that we think disqualifies us and gives us a dream anyways. 
He plants that dream in our heart in spite of those limitations. Even though we have those limitations, he still puts a dream in our heart. That's the amazing thing about God. With him, all things are possible. He purposely sometimes allows us to be backed into a corner so that he can do what only he can do. Number two, God won't lower his expectations because of my limitations. After Gideon informed God that he wasn't the man for the job because he did not come from a family of means and, and that he was the youngest in his father's house, therefore he was too inexperienced to do what God was asking him to do, God didn't say, you know, Gideon, you're right. Never mind. Let me find a more influential family. And let me find a firstborn child because they they might have more experience. God didn't say that to him. He says in verse 16, But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Do you know how many times I've told God I don't have what it takes to make this church work? Probably every single Sunday. I don't have what it takes to build this church. I don't have what it takes to establish this church. I don't have what it takes to lead this church into self-sustainability. I don't have what it takes to to, to create a life-giving church that impacts the entire neighborhood. I I don't have what it takes to to have a a church that impacts not only its neighborhood, but, but this entire city and this entire nation and this entire world. But God won't lower his expectations because of your limitations. Instead, he promises to be with you, just as he promised to be with Gideon. Just because you say you can't do it doesn't mean God won't still expect you to do it. God, I can't keep grinding every day and come to work with this crazy, power-hungry boss of mine. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. For some, the answer might be to go somewhere else, but for others, God is saying, Oh, yes, you can keep coming to work. And oh, yes, you can keep dealing with that power-hungry, crazy, psycho boss. Why? Because I am with you. I am with you. And I am the comforter. And I am going to help you. And I am going to give you peace. And I am going to give you strength. So, oh, yes, you can go back to work on Monday. Because you're not doing it in your own strength. Or maybe you are and you need to stop doing it in your own strength. And he's building your character through that crazy, power-hungry, psycho boss of yours. And he is preparing you for your next season. Sometimes God lets us be under crazy people so that when we lead people, we'll know everything we shouldn't do. I'm serious. There's a lot of things in how I lead people that I learned from people that I was under that did those things to me. And I said, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to lead like that. I'm never going to treat people like that. I'm never going to do that to people. And and a lot of the things I've learned in my leadership come from me experiencing it from others and saying, I'm not going to do that. God spoke to us about launching our church before I was re-diagnosed with cancer. And because of that, we decided that cancer was not going to dictate or determine the timeline of God's call on our lives. That's been a statement a staple statement in our lives. And I think Priscilla came up with it. <laughs> but I claim it as ours, just like I claim that thing Bevelin always says. God is not called. Did you get that from me? Or did you just start saying that? Did I say that in a sermon? Because the video that, we, that they took, 
I, I said that in, yes, because I said that in the, in the video, and so, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> God has not called us to be successful, he's called us to be faithful, that, that was, everybody was like, whoa, that was amazing, and all that, so, anyways, God knew that I was going to be re-diagnosed with cancer before he called us to, to, to plant this church, and so we launched even though the cards were stacked against us. Mm -hmm. And we had people in this church, Ticho and Michelle and John and, and some others, that, that kept the church afloat while we were not strong enough to be able to, to handle the weight of the church plan at that time. God never, although God said you will defeat the Midianites as one man, there were 300 other people there. There, there were other people that, that helped in that. There were other people that were part of it. Amen. You never do anything great alone. There's always people in the background. There's always people that are championing the cause. You can't do it alone, and you're not called to do it alone. Yeah. And number three, God's only limitation is my expectation. God's only limitation is my expectation. God is not looking for the most talented, nor is he looking for the most popular or the wealthiest or the smartest person to use. He is simply looking for men and women who will be continually available for him to use. Amen. He's looking for availability. And God, here I am. Use me. Warts and all. Struggles and all. Limitations and all. Use me. The only limitation God has in your dream is if you give up on it. That's the only limitation because God can do anything, but he has given us a free will to choose. And the only limitation is if... If we say, God, I can't do this anymore, and we quit on the dream that he has given to us. If Gideon told God that he was not going to go up against the Midianites, and he refused. Say, God, I'm the youngest. God, my family is not influential. I'm not going to do it. That is the one thing that could limit what God could do through Gideon, because God has given us a free will to choose what we're going to do and who we're going to follow. Wealth cannot secure your victory. Poverty cannot prevent you from experiencing victory. Only your expectation of what God can or can't do can limit him. The moment you give up, the moment you quit, the moment you say, I'm not doing this anymore, that is what limits God from fulfilling what he has called you to do. After all, God used a stuttering murderer in Moses to deliver the Hebrews from the hand of Pharaoh. Moses murdered somebody, and then he couldn't even speak. God said, go speak to Pharaoh, and he, I stutter, I can't even speak. God still used him. God used a shepherd boy in David, who was the youngest in his family, to become the most powerful, influential king of Israel. God used the son of a carpenter to bring salvation and freedom to mankind. He is now the most famous name on the entire earth. He can use anybody if we're available. If we say, God, I'm here. I might not be the most talented. I might not be the smartest. I might not have the most money. I might not come from the best family. But God, I'm here. I'm available. Use me. I'm willing. That's what he's looking for. He can use you too. He can use you too. And number four, 
God's expectation should be my inspiration. Some of you might know the end of the story, depending on if you grew up in church. Midian, I told you that, I told you that Gideon first gathered 32,000 soldiers, and then it shrunk down to 10,000, then it shrunk down to 300, but I didn't tell you how many the, the Midianites had. They had 135,000 soldiers. So even with 32,000 soldiers, they still had 103,000 more soldiers than Israel. And God said, despite you're already being outnumbered, you're already way outnumbered, I'm still going to shrink you down and then shrink you down again. And you only have 300 against the 135,000. And when he shrunk them down to 300, he said, now you're ready. God can do more with a few people that will trust him than can be done with a whole legion of people that think they have all the answers. Amen? God's expectation became Gideon's inspiration, and because of that, he defeated the Midianite army. If I could have the worship team come up. What happened to us in Texas this past week can only be explained or described as a, as a God thing. I, I mentioned this before, but there was no way that Priscilla and I and our church, our small church in Hamilton Heights, should have been honored on that stage in that way and presented with that check. It was only the hand of God. Uh, in fact, the way I believe this is the story, the way that the AG News Magazine even found out about our story is that they ran a story on Steve Coolish, who is John's dad, who's doing security out there. And Steve told him about a handful of other pastors in the city that maybe they could connect with. And they just happened to connect with us and reach out to us. All of these random events. And then that news story, you know, they, they, they post that news story and someone happened to read it and tell the right person. And then they happened to have a video chat with us. And our story was compelling. And it, and it just snowballed into us being on stage on, on Monday in front of 1,500 other pastors all over the country and people that didn't know about our church know about our church now. I had so many people come up to me and give, give me, um, you know, tell me, hey, reach out to me. I want to help you guys. Reach out to me. We have resources that can help you. Chris, uh, the director, even said when, when we said goodbye to him, he said that a few other pastors texted him that night and said, uh, can you give me uh, Stephen and Priscilla's contact info? We want to help him. We want to. So he said, "I don't know what else God can do, but you might be getting even more money coming in." I'll take it all, Jesus. Amen. We need it. We need it. But there's no way, outside of God orchestrating all of these events, that this should have happened. This is undeniably the hand of God. And I'm convinced that this was a sign from God that he's not done with us yet. That, that we're not here just beating the air and aimlessly just, you know, we're, we're just here. We're just waiting until we, we shut the doors and say we, we just couldn't get enough people and so we're going to quit and go back to wherever. This was a sign from God saying that you're at the right place at the right time in the right moment and, and, and I'm doing something and I want you to know, I want it to be loud and clear that I'm doing something. I'm convinced that he's just getting started with us. 
And, and there's something very special that is taking place in Hamilton Heights that's going to spill out into Manhattan and into the other five boroughs and into our nation and into our world. Doesn't look like much here on this Sunday morning, but what God is doing is going to impact the entire globe eventually. So God is telling us, not just me and Priscilla, God is telling you, you're in the right place. You're plugged into the right church because I'm doing something here and I'm going to do it through you. Today, if you feel further away from the dream than when you received it, God wants me to tell you that he's not finished with you yet. That he is going to carry on to completion what he started in you. If today you feel further away from the dream than when you first received it, God wants me to tell you, don't give up because I haven't given up on you. God wants me to tell you that he knew your limitations. But despite those limitations, he still called you and he still put a dream in your heart. If you feel further away from the dream than when you first received it, God wants me to tell you that this dream is not made up. It's not something you made up. I don't know if you struggle with that, but sometimes I feel like, God, did I just, did me and Priscilla just like New York City so much that we just made up this dream and put God on it? Sometimes when we're in the middle of the struggle, when we're in the middle of the fire, we think, man, I think I made this dream up because I don't see God's hand. I want you to tell you, I want to tell you today, if you feel that way, your dream isn't made up. It, it's God birthed and God breathed. And what he births and what he breathes on. He will not give up on. He will not quit on. He will carry it all the way till it's fulfilled and it's finished. But we all are in the middle of this thing. And it's a struggle and it's a fight. And you get knocked down, you just got to get back up. You get discouraged and disappointed, you just got to keep moving forward. And you have to know that God hasn't given up on you. no matter how insurmountable the opposition to your dream looks right now, no matter how outnumbered you feel right now, no matter how big your limitations feel right now, if God is with you, He is going to make it happen. If God is with you, He is going to make it happen. He is going to align everything that needs to be aligned. He is going to give you the relationships that you need. He is going to provide the resources that you need. You know, back in August, our, our home church, they told us, you know, and they told us that they were not going to be able to support us full time any longer. And, uh, and they had supported us for three full years. And so... That we're not bitter or angry or mad. We, we, that's expected. And they did way beyond what most churches do for their, their uh, the, you know, the church that comes out from them. 
But I can't, I, I'm not going to lie, I felt like maybe, maybe they didn't believe in us anymore. And so they were like, we don't want to pour this money into this church anymore because I don't think it's going to survive. And I know $30,000 isn't going to solve all of our problems, especially in New York City. But I felt like this, these people that didn't even know us, but heard our story and it was so compelling that they believed in us. It's like God's going to provide one way or another. And in your life, God is going to provide one way or the other. It, It might come from out in left field or it might just come in little increments at a time here and there sporadically where every week you're feeling like, I don't know how, how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to survive. I don't know how I'm going to buy groceries this week. I don't know how, I'm, how I can do laundry this week. But God is going to provide for you because he is our provider. Amen? Amen. Let, let's bow our heads in this place.